back to Gin Welcome Topic. Back to Welcome Gin back to Gin and Topic. If you've forgotten, I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we drink gin. And we don't know anything. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got a load more experts. We've got some really cool topics, and we're going to find out about them. Yeah, while drinking gin. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Another week, right. another episode. Another week, another episode. Indeed. <laughs> Who are we talking to today? This week, we are talking to Dr. Anna McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Dr. Anna McKenzie is a postdoctoral researcher at Lancaster University. Nice. She's employed as deputy head of events. Okay. But she's also researching and publishing her own work. And her work is in... Oh, you're smiling. I am. Why are you smiling? Because we get to lose ourselves today. Lose ourselves? We do, because the topic is fantasy. Like fantasy. Fantasy. Oh. And literature fantasy. (gasps) And our question is, how can fantasy literature and media benefit well-being and mental health? Oh, your face. You look oh, like a puppy. My. This is no, the dream. you look like a little child that's just received a puppy. I feel like I've just received a puppy. Oh, my God. What do we know about this question? Okay, if I ask you this question, I know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> Can fantasy literature and media benefit well-being and mental health? Yes. Yes. I'd like to think it can. Otherwise, everything I know is wrong. <laughs> Okay, so we love fantasy literature. Yes. Although the big one that everyone may be going to, Game of Thrones. Gonna be honest, not watched it, not read it. No. But I have read a lot of other fantasy literature, mainly YA, like that kind of... Well, Harry Potter's a big one. Harry Potter, Mortal Instruments, Infernal Devices, a lot of, yeah, vampires. I I was alive during the vampire hype of... 2000 and I want to say 14 to 16. Yeah. That would be my Um, guesstimate. You see, when I was younger, I used to read a lot of Robert Rankin, Terry Pratchett. Um, Also, I can't remember the name of the books, but the Dragons of Pern and the Pern series. And Mm -hmm. oh my God, I used to love that. And I really wanted to be one of the people around the eggs when the (laughs) eggs were hatching and for the dragon to choose me and for us to then be lifelong friends. And just being able to lose yourself Mm -hmm. in a completely different world. And I think, especially, I think this is a brilliant episode for going through a whole pandemic And, oh, my God, how much have we needed to lose ourselves in fantasy? Anyone who knows me knows that if I'm particularly stressed and struggling to sleep, I have a tendency to rely on two things. Harry Styles on the car map, irrelevant for today, but excellent, or Harry Potter audiobooks. Oh. Yeah, obviously, obviously the correct ones read by Stephen Fry. Yes. And... It's like pure comfort listening and I have perhaps too much Harry Potter knowledge. But I don't think you can ever have too much. No, no. It's great for like pub quizzes and being used as a party trick at parties when people quiz me. Whereas I only use the fact that I can say the alphabet backwards. I can't do that. I can't do that. (laughs) Um, 
But what I love about that as well is that actually Harry Potter is a bit like your comfort blanket. For well-being and mental health, being able to just lose yourself into that kind of world, Mm -hmm. um, I think I can answer the question right now of, yes, it can. But I don't know how and why. No. No. No, because I can only talk about from my point of view. Yeah. um, But I can't, I don't know anything about why. Mm or how it would do it for everyone or anyone. So Anna should hopefully be able to give us lots of knowledge that we can sound really clever with. And I think that you will have to keep me on track today. Because I'm going to be easily distracted (laughs) talking about books. We'll let Anna in and have a good old natter. Sounds good. Let me pour it. I'm at the wrong angle. I'm on a very healthy measure here, so I think it's only appropriate that the host has the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're not going to be able to fit much tonic in there, but let's go for it. <laughs> Whoops. I might just have a bit of a fuller glass than yeah, I normally. Yeah, normally. Yeah. There we go. Okay. We have gin in hand. Cheers Wait. and welcome. Cheers. So, tell us, what are we drinking and why? So, yes, this is Brewdog's Lone Wolf Gin. And mm-hmm. I've got to be honest, I thought of Brewdog as primarily, like, beer guys. Yeah. And um, I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised um, when I, I went hunting for an interesting gym, gym with an interesting story for this. And mm-hmm. Brewdog have obviously been one of the companies that have been absolutely brilliant during the whole COVID mess. And, you know, the yeah. hand sanitizers, offering their pubs and bars and vaccination centres... Uh, I saw this in Asda and thought, ooh, brew dog. Didn't know they did spirits. Didn't know they did gin, more importantly. And, yeah, I thought, actually, I like their ethos and I like how they've kind of stood up and mm. been very flexible and adaptable when you know, trying to deal with yeah. you know, the, the whole horrendous mm-hmm. situation. And, yeah, and then I, I read the back of it and it says something about it. It's like a forest. And I was like, ooh, forest gin. That sounds cool. Yeah. I love, I love the... A whole image of the wolf on it. Lavender and citrus notes. Born under a hazy moon, lone wolf rose from the ferocity of the... Scots Forest. Scots Forest. I saw boots, which is why I was struggling. It's me and my glasses. Ooh, lavender and citrus note run alongside a forage of feral pine needles. What are feral pine needles? Well, Do you lots, get tame pine There's a lot of tasting feral. notes, though, because there's pine, juniper, grapefruit peel, lemon peel, pink peppercorn, a root of some kind, something else, mace, cardamom, lemongrass, lime, almonds, coriander, lavender. Bloody hell. It's got a lot in it. <laughs> it is a lot in it. And we're pairing it with an elderflower tonic. Yeah, I just, I love fever tree tonic. And it, it, Yay, and so do we. It works so well because the first time I tried the elderflower one, because you, know, you have to taste the gin and sometimes you get sort of cheaper gins that are kind of like, oh, we're elderflower. Oh, we're, we're cucumber tonics um, that you have to go with it. And it kind of masks the flavour of the gin. Whereas I think the, the fever tree is... 
it's more of a delicate elderflower. It doesn't kind of yeah, mask yes, yeah. it. Although I think it'd be pretty hard to mask the flavours of the lone wolf gin. The lone wolf is really quite in your face yeah, with yeah. all those botanicals, isn't it? And I wonder whether it's that pink peppercorn because I've had something else mm. with a pink peppercorn mm. in it before and it really yes. does smack you around the face. Yeah. And I tend not to like it so much, mm. but... I must say, I've tried Lone Wolf before and I didn't like it at all, but I like it more with an elderflower. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. Tonic. Yeah, yeah. I still think I want to mix it into a cocktail because I think there's so much in there. I want to make it a sort of interesting cocktail type gin. I don't know if it's a standard. I don't know if I'd have it with just plain old tonic because there's so much. It's a bit like, fucking hell, that smacked me in the face. But with the elderflower, it's good. It is. And we've put a little orange in there as well to juice it up, but it's frozen. So Mm. it'll take a little while to infuse. (laughs) Yeah, I've got got some fresh lemon and absolutely tons of ice cubes. Right way to do it. Oh, nice. Yeah, lemon and tonic. Yeah. Yeah. But for now, it's Lone Wolf. Smacking us around the face, especially with how strong it is. <laughs> Going to enjoy this episode. Oh, never ever let me pull the gin. <laughs> it reminds me so, quite a lot of, um, I never get the pronunciation right, is it Oprah? It's kind of spot like Oifa. Mm, yeah, the o- Opia? O- yeah, something yeah. like that. I'm not yeah. sure, yeah. But it's got the elephant on the front and yes. it's really delicious. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and again, because it has got quite a lot going on, hasn't it? They both have cardamom in. Ah. Mm. Uh, Yes. I know something. Yay. <laughs> I just like gins that have pretty pictures on the bottles mainly. Yeah, Do you know? I kind of get that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the best ways to choose anything, really. <laughs> Based on the look, yeah. yeah. So we've done our little preamble chat about mm-hmm. what do we know about this subject and what we think we know in order to answer the question. Mm-hmm. And, of course, your question is... Probably my favourite um, question gonna... ever. Ah, How can fantasy literature and media benefit wellbeing and mental health? Now, if we change the question slightly and say, can it, mm-hmm. we both just go, yeah, obviously. Yeah. How can it? We don't mm. know. I would venture the word escapism in there yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd also venture sort of being able to put put yourself in a different place and see yourself as a different person, different world mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. But we don't really know don't much really than our own experience. Know. But we love But we have a fair amount of experience. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so for our own mental health and well-being, let's not open that box. It it, <laughs> it really does help and yeah. Um, for me, audiobooks are the way I tend to lose myself because mm-hmm. of trying to fit it in. Yeah. Um, and fantasy books have played a massive part since I was younger. And I'm still trying to remember the name of the series of the Dragons of Pern, but I can't. And I I'm, I'm think I'm the same. I love an audiobook, especially when I'm going to sleep, if I'm feeling very overwhelmed and I can't get my brain to turn off. And I have a particular series which I go to, which is like comfort from childhood. So I listen to it over and over and I can quote the first line and it's a little bit ridiculous. (laughs) But then I love books as well. There's nothing like opening a book and the smell of it and bookshops and, oh, I get quite passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. Anne McCaffrey McCaffrey. is the author and it was the Pern 
series, okay. Pan Chronicles. Um, and yeah, I'm going to have to reread them from the beginning. Um, because <laughs> I'm going to have to look whole, that up. Oh my God, they were just, they were my teen reading. And the the teens would all go um, and stand around the circle of the dragon's eggs basically and they would wait and then the eggs would hatch and the dragon would come out and choose its rider and then you were bonded with the dragon and I, I love you dragons, dragons. <laughs> I've always wanted <laughs> and one of one of the worlds the dragons were really tiny so, so they could like you go in your just, pocket. Yeah, they just oh, traveled with you. That's um, and oh, that's it. I'm going to have to reread. And this is oh why God, I said well-being. that at some points we may struggle to stay on topic because I think there could be fangirling moments over various series. I, I think yeah. fangirling is an absolutely necessary part of you know discussions about fantasy. Yes. You, you, can, you don't just do fantasy on like an intellectual level. You have to no. get into it with your heart and your soul. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like that. I'm getting excited now. So where are we going to start? How can fantasy literature and media benefit well-being and mental health? Well, the thing is, you just kind of contextualise it perfectly by sort of reframing that and saying, can it? And you've sort of both gone, yes, obviously, you know, and, and given some amazing examples. So, you know, that's, that's a, a great start. What's the science behind that? Yeah, I'm not a science person. Uh, I, Good. <laughs> again, it's heart and soul. It's literature. It's literary studies. It's kind of looking at how people interact, how people respond to things. And it's very much about the current state of support for mental health and thinking, particularly in the UK, obviously, because you know, that's, that's what we know about best. You know, how people talk about mental health, how people communicate if they've got a, a, an illness a mental illness mm-hmm. um it's it's been talked about about getting this parity between mental and physical health but it's still not happened and it's still not happening mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the approach that I've, I've kind of talked about with like the fantasy literature and media it's a way to try to encourage mental health literacy so people talking about it understanding it a bit more feeling able to contribute through a way that isn't obviously about mental health because mm-hmm. you've still got very much that stigma around oh you've got a mental illness oh I don't know how to deal with you type thing and and sometimes it's kind of overt and conscious sometimes it's subconscious and it's more kind of ingrained in our society that mm-hmm. you know we don't know how to deal with mental health and we don't know how to talk mm-hmm. about it or offer support so can I get this can I get this right? So are you talking about fantasy literature about mental health? It's it's kind of both things. So it's it's fantasy series like well, have you read Harry Potter? I presume you've read all Yes. Books. Yes, yes I have. Yes. <laughs> Good. Hello Potterhead. Of all the series you could choose. <laughs> Which house are series. you? I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> Amazing. I'm Gryffindor. Gryffindor. And Sarah, you are? I'm a Hufflepuff. We've got a good representation here then. That's important. Yeah. But you you think about Harry Potter. So I'm I'm coming in kind of a circuitous route, Sarah. It will answer your question. Okay, cool. You start off with Harry Potter. And the first bit of Harry Potter is about Harry being left on this doorstep. You know, he's he's an outsider. You know, you've got the Dursleys talking about him in the early chapters, sort of chapters one to five or six particularly, where Petunia's like, oh, I told you he was going to be abnormal. 
and all these really horrible things that she says about him. And it's very kind of us and them and the way they talk about and to Harry, he is excluded. So does that play a part in mental health? Yes, because he's excluded. Yes. And you've got, you know, a lot of the the plot that centres around Harry, you've got the the kind of the stigma around pure bloods, mud bloods, mm-hmm. oh, hate that word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're better because you've got this or you've got that and it's something you're born with. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, mental illnesses can come upon us at any time in our life, but some people mm-hmm. are born with them. Some people, it's, it's how their brains were kind of wired from birth. You've got sort of the bullying with Malfoy. You know, you've got a huge amount. You know, Luna Lovegood, who's amazing. And Snape. Yes. Yeah. 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 Luna Lovegood, who is amazing, is just Love a oh, bit yeah. odd. She's one of my favourites. She's referred to as Looney. Yeah, I hate that. Ron did her dirty with that. He did. I love Ron, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, that was problematic, Ron. <laughs> yeah. So send the question back on you, Sarah. Would you have said before this that Harry Potter is about mental health? No, I wouldn't, in that it wasn't written about men. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't written for the purpose of being about mental health. Mm -hmm. But we could infer a lot of mental health Mm -hmm. through it. Yes. That boy was traumatised. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, 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 to go back to your original question, it's not about books about fantasy that are written purely about mental health. But if you look at the number of fantasy books, you know, a really common theme is the outsiders, the underlings, you know, mm-hmm. bullying, battle, status. Um, I reread A Discovery of Witches recently and um, Diana Bishop, who's kind of the main witch protagonist in that, um, has these panic attacks. And then later yes. it's yeah. revealed, it's, it, it's to do with her not accepting her magical powers because her parents were killed because they were very powerful witches. And she was very reticent about embracing her witchly identity. And it turns out that actually the panic attacks were a physical manifestation of her rejecting her power. And as soon as she sort of accepted who she was and you know, all the parts of her, even the ones she didn't like, they stopped. Oh. And the, the key thing with fantasy is it, it's not about mental health, but it does refer to and cover mental health, whether it's explicitly such as, you know, mm. the bullying and exclusion. Um, or to go back to Harry Potter, you know, the boggart. Yes, the visual representation of depression. Yeah, yeah, yes. which, which is just brilliant. Um, and I did some research into, and I, I didn't steal, I borrowed um, a CBT workbook from an NHS trust. Mm. It was online, it was free, it's fine. Um, and <laughs> I've done CBT myself a few times and you have these worksheets and when they're focusing on challenging negative thoughts, you have to write down sort of the evidence for the negative thought, the evidence against Mm -hmm. it. You have to put yourself in the position of being in a court and saying, okay, so my argument is this, would this stand up in court? Would they they throw it out with absolutely no evidence? And actually the dementor and the the dementor as well as the boggart, they all very visually represent elements of negative thoughts, depression, sucking the happiness out of the world. Mm-hmm. And for me, that really visual image, but not just the image, the fact that it's ingrained in a hugely popular series that is mm. everywhere. Everywhere, mm. yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's not about mental health, it's not about challenging negative thoughts, but you see it when poor Ron is faced with the spider 
you know, you've yes. got that, that great moment when the spider's got roller skates on, this sort of flopping everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. you know, who can forget Snape with the big vulture hat and the dress? Iconic moment. Absolutely. Chest kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a very clear and it's, it's not patronising. It's not mm. teachy or preachy, but it's just, okay, we've got a negative thing. We're scared of it. How are we going to deal with it? Yeah. I think that's why I love Lupin so much because oh. Lupin, I mean, great character, full stop, and could go on a lot about that. <laughs> but that class, I just, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's also quite creepy though with the giant clown in the film. That scares the fuck out of me. Yes. That's the worst mm-hmm. one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That or yeah. the snake. Yeah. And we won't get into the difference between books and films. Yeah. yeah, you know better than to broach that with me, Sarah. I feel a kindred spirit. Oh, We'll have a whole different discussion all about the <laughs> Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire later? Oh. <laughs> mm. 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 Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? He said calmly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly you on. Blood pressure rising. <laughs> so is is this specific to fantasy though or do we have representations of mental health in all sorts of books anyway what why look at fantasy it's in itself so one of the really key and important things about fantasy is the fandoms and the amazing yes. communities grouped around these really iconic series and you know the wikis the reddits the goodreads you know, there's, there's so much. And obviously, a lot of books have fans. Um, for me, I think the fantasy fandoms are just the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at, uh, I don't know if I do your Doctor Who fans. Oh, yes, we're going to have a great episode. <laughs> do you know, every time you mention something, I just hear this little noise that goes, ding! And it's like you just got these little star markers, you know, that have just come up. Of just, you I know, just really who excited. was your most memorable guest? Oh, well, let's see. The ones that just went, oh, yeah, there's one button that goes, <laughs> all the things I love. I was on Tumblr during the um, the super who locked phase. So I've, I've oh, been yes. around. I've been in the wars. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I... Do you need me to explain that to you? Yeah, I do. Okay, so it's Supernatural, which I'll be honest, I haven't watched. Different Doctor Who, Sherlock. Right. We've watched Doctor Who and, and Sherlock. Yeah. Big fans. Love them both. Love them both. And then Super Who Locked became like these fans who did all three. Oh, okay. And they were rather intense. Okay, Kindred Spirit, again. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, that, that goes into your point of powerful fan base. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, this is it. I'm wearing too many layers on it, otherwise I'd show you my TARDIS tattoo on my leg. Um. <laughs> I'm going to nerd out so hard. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah. Fandoms and the tweet-alongs in the first lockdown yes. last year. You know, yes. that was that was a, an absolutely amazing example of a, a proper fan community collective coming together saying, right, we're in this time of crisis how the bloody hell are we going to get through this? And saying, mm-hmm. actually, the thing we love can get us through this. So having yeah. the live tweet-alongs with, oh, I mean, Matt Smith was on it, Matt Smith's mum was on it, yeah. Stephen yeah. Moffat, Russell T Davis, you know, Neil Gaiman. Oh, Russell T. Oh, I miss him. I really miss him. I miss him, him so much. But it, it was just this amazing experience. You know, mm. re-watching, I mean, I rewatched Doctor Who on a freakishly regular basis anyway. Yep. Yep, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, to 
it was a really I couldn't I can't even hit on the right words. It, it was just a very it almost felt like a holy experience. It was almost a kind mm. of out of body. There's some kind of you know greater power going on here because I'm watching the show that I love. I'm watching these brilliant episodes that were just picked perfectly for the time yeah. they were being watched. You were tweeting and you were having discussions with like-minded fans. And it just, it was a very tangible way of making things better. Yeah. And in some cases, I think there was a lot of emotional release to it as well. Because I think obviously in lockdown, everyone's been really struggling. And one of the episodes that was done, Vincent and the Doctor. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So I sobbed. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Same. I've sobbed at a lot of Doctor Who episodes. Doomsday. Absolute oh childhood God. heartbreak. But that one is, there's a real message of hope, but also the sort of heartbreak of obviously Vincent did have mental health issues yes. and that was explored in the episode. And I'm going to start getting emotional. So I'm going to oh. stop my point there because I'm thinking about the episode now and now I want to cry. And, <laughs> and pulling away from the episode because there must also be something about that tweet along in terms of that feeling of belonging and feeling mm, together, yeah. which during the pandemic being so separate from yeah. everyone yeah. to be able to feel a connection with other mm. people and to feel that there are other people out there feeling your shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That must be really powerful as well so not just the fantasy yeah. and the and the program but everything else that goes with it yeah it's, it's absolutely that you know combined package and you know the fandoms are great at creating that sense of belonging before covid hit but it, it was just really yeah it was like you know fandom community on speed or something it was just a very <laughs> intense experience that was just like i'm tapping into something huge i mean when you know when first lockdown hit, I I was actually I went and lived on my parents' canal boat for sixteen weeks to be close to my horse, um, yeah. and I was on a canal boat on my own. Yeah. It was it was beautiful. I loved the canal boat. There was a lot of gin sat on the back of the boat, but it was Handy. a very isolated experience. Yeah, and you know I I would kind of schedule my weeks and my plans around the Doctor Who tweet alongs, and I found it it was just it was something to look forward to every week. It was yeah, just that feeling that you were part of something and part of something really important as well. Something that you just know is reaching hundreds of thousands of people at that very moment. Um, it, it was just incredible. Um, it, it was a really moving experience. And yet there was a lot of crying. A lot yeah. of crying happened. <laughs> OK, so can I backtrack a bit? as well though because only if to you go, keep doing your backtrack I do I do exactly <laughs> that I was backtracking so backtracking why are we here what has this got to do with you apart from the canal boat experience I, sp I suppose it's kind of a, a kind of multi-fold answer to the question and I like those me yeah. mental health awareness and literacy is something I'm very very passionate about and you know I've, I've got my own set of issues you know I've got anxiety I've got depression I have had for a while mm -hmm. Um, and in a previous university, I um, supported students out of hours um, with kind of emergencies, mental health crises, you know, sexual assaults, rapes, you know, deaths. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, yeah, uh, tragically. And I saw a lot there. And, you know, the NHS is absolutely amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. But I encountered several situations where I would accompany students who wanted to kill themselves to A&E. And it would be, uh, okay, um, so you know, what are your plans for tomorrow? Oh, well, the, this thing's on. Okay, see, you're not suicidal. You've, you've got plans for tomorrow. That's fine. Back to the university you go. 
And I think there's, you know, a huge, I mean, obviously lack of resources and lack of funding is absolutely, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm a student at the moment and I know our wellbeing centre is completely overstretched. It doesn't have space. Yeah. Funding's just not there. And being a student can be fucking difficult. And also really hard during the pandemic as well through not being able to provide that in-person access all of the time, um, but needing to provide online access. And for more, um, you know, with students that are self-isolating, et cetera, et cetera, and being away and worried about families. And and then there's still all the university stuff. There's still deadlines and all of those things. And all the other pressure. Yeah, Yeah, so it's, it's very much kind of reflecting on that situation that the NHS is completely stretched, universities are mm. completely stretched, and at the end of the day, universities aren't medical institutions. You know, they can yeah. they can signpost and they can help and they can deal with a lot, but mm-hmm. you know, that's not where their expertise lies. And when I was in this post, it was very, you know, I managed a team across three different sites and it was very do not get too involved. I was saying to them, you know, we are not here to solve the issues. We're here to try to deal with the the immediate problem try to get the students sort of through the night, through the next yeah. day, you know, whatever it is, but without taking on too much and mm. most importantly, not taking on that emotional impact on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you can't take that home. No, no. I mean, I, I saw some you know, really, really upsetting things and, you know, you, ha- you have to go away and decompress and get it out of your system and, you know, find ways to do that. And it was just very, very clear that actually our current system, whether in universities or the NHS or you know, wider, we don't look after mental health as much as we should. One of the things that really became apparent was this need for alternative approaches to managing mental health. Mm. And the first step to that is really understanding it. Yeah. Mm. And you know, understand what it is, you know, try to locate yourself within the midst of all the discourses around mental health. Think, okay, so I'm feeling like this. I'm going to do a bit of research, find out what that is. Mm. But the stigma around mental health, as we were saying before, you know, that puts people off getting help. You know, it puts mm-hmm. people off, yeah. you know, even recognising it in their own heads. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember yeah. when I was prescribed antidepressants and I was absolutely terrified about taking them. You know, because I, I kind mm-hmm. of subconsciously absorbed all the, oh, mental illness, oh, antidepressants are really bad. You'll never be able to come off them. And even mm-hmm. though I was kind of at the end of my tether with anxiety, I was, I was still really scared because that, that it had very much kind of sunk into my subconscious. So I think awareness is the first step and how we do that and how we make it a less scary conversation and plugging into something like Harry Potter, Doctor Who, Divergent, uh, Discovery of Witches, oh, Game one. of Thrones. You know, there, there, there are so many things that really capture people. I mean, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be in the kind of contemporary age to Harry when the books first came out. So that was kind of very much my childhood, which was you know, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look back at it and think, oh, I was actually you know, reading that concurrently with it being published. That's just brilliant. But mm-hmm. finding a way to understand and talk about mental health in a way that isn't threatening, isn't scary, yeah. you know, I think yeah. is absolutely huge. And then mm-hmm. through fantasy texts and media as well, and obviously TV is a huge part in that, mm. looking at those coping strategies, so the boggarts, the Dementors, yeah. there's, um, mm. remember the episode Into the Dalek where they get miniaturised and put inside Rusty the Dalek? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got that, that great image where 
Clara and Journey Blue are, are tunneling through this Dalek and they get to mm-hmm. that kind of memory centre and they've got all those lights around the outside mm-hmm. and they find the one dark light, which is the, the image of yeah. um, the star being born, which of course the Daleks turn good, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that was off. And that just struck me as a really great visual image. If you're thinking about something like PTSD, you know, yeah. dealing with difficult memories, you know, yeah. having something as simple as that, because I think... One of the issues around mental health is you can't picture it. You yeah. can't picture what your brain is doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you could see kind of your memories laid out in a room and sort yeah. of, you know, you're aware that you're repressing that one and you're not thinking about it and you keep not thinking about it. It's like it's that dark light panel. Oh, it's like the silence, wasn't it? That well, whole... Where you could see them and then they'd be gone when you... Yeah. 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 So you had to mark mm. when you'd seen them. That because... was a freaking terrifying episode when they're drawn... And then they see all the marks on their arms. Yes, yes, oh, yes, my yes. goodness. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not saying that, you know, oh, you're struggling with mental illness, go away and read a fantasy book, you'll be fine. We're saying that we can look at it and see these things in there which can help us understand it and can help us with coping mechanisms and it can be a tool that we can use. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that kind of alongside, you know, mainstream stuff, mainstream therapies. And it's absolutely, mm. you know, not not kind of replacing, um, mm. you know, t- traditional therapies. Um, there was a report produced. It's by the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Health and Wellbeing, I think it was. And Yeah, catchy title. I know. It's very sexy, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. So it, it was set up in um, 2014, I think, and they produced this report uh, called Creative Health, the Arts for Health and Wellbeing. And um, a guy called Lord Howarth was on the, the parliamentary group and I went to a lecture that he spoke at where he was really talking us through sort of what this was and what the impact was going to be. And it was great because it's talking about the, the really important role that the arts can have in supporting our wellbeing. But... Mm-hmm. There was an issue for me in that the onus was on participatory activities. It was yeah. mm, going to yeah. a book club, reading aloud, doing crafts with other people, playing these instruments yeah. mm-hmm. in a band. And mm. I thought, actually, you know, that, that is great. And, you know, that does work for a huge number of people. But what we do when we go home, when we're on our own, where we don't have to think about anyone else, where we don't have to impress anyone else, when we're on our own, we seek out what we need and what we think probably subconsciously, will make us feel, mm. you know, comfortable in that moment. Mm. And that might be, you know, starting something new. It might be re-watching uh, a comfort show, you know, like Doctor Who. Mm. Um, yeah, and interesting enough, I'm doing a MA in screen production at the minute and we, every week, yeah, it's really cool, but every week one of our lecturers asked us, okay, so what have you been watching this week? And there's been a real spike in a lot of us are re-watching things because we need that comfort yeah. because things going on. Yeah. And he keeps saying, you know, I'm not surprised you're doing that because the comfort we get in those shows that we've seen before, that we know what's going to happen, we know we're safe, even if they do produce an emotional response. There are certain Doctor Who episodes I always skip if I can't if I can't deal with it that day. But there's something about that being almost like a little blanket you can wrap around yourself that just makes you feel a bit safe. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if it's mirroring in some ways how you're feeling at the time. We all know, you know, you put the music on that you want to have a good cry to if you know that you're going to want to have a damn good cry. And so then you choose those ones that are going to be mirroring those emotions for you to be able to put that. And that can be in 
the fantasy fiction in terms of reading or in watching mm-hmm. as well. And I found, you know, one of the things I found really hard for the last few years has been reading mm. um, because of actually the physical act of reading has been really difficult to get my brain onto. But that's where audiobooks comes into play mm-hmm. and being able to lose yourself whilst doing the washing up, whilst yes. doing the driving, whilst doing the other things. But always pay attention when you're driving. Just, <laughs> yeah, drink responsibly, pay attention when you're driving. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a few things that I've been hearing when you've been talking. One has been that mirroring of of seeing yourself in a fantasy book can also be give you that feeling of belonging, but be able to see things that you may not have noticed because you can see it on other people happening within that media. Um, Two, I also wonder whether there's something about being able to have a common language because, you know, I work a lot in public engagement and helping people to uh, come up with analogies. I love a good analogy. Love Love an analogy. It's almost psychotic how much she loves them. (laughs) And being able to make those creative connections. So being able to say, you know, oh, it's a bit like, like you said about being able to see those lights and, you know, going into a Dalek and being able to see that there isn't one on, be able to use that to Mm -hmm. talk to other people. And we use... um, uh, dementors quite often in talking about you know people in our lives that feel like they're being a dementor to us yeah. at that moment and they're draining us of all of our energy and actually you've got to look after yourself as well as them mm-hmm. <sighs> was that just good to get off your chest it, we, it is because it? it is an area I haven't <laughs> thought I didn't think of anything more when we were doing the introduction about losing yourself in a good fantasy book yeah but actually now I'm starting to think you could pull out so much mm. that can help with mental health. Yeah. But is there also something in that losing yourself from not being in your own world? Because, yeah. right, I'm going to go down YA Mortal Instruments series oh, now yes. because, right. So I haven't I, read it. You, you would, Should I read it? Yes. I'm not sure. I think maybe. I think you might enjoy it. But I wanted to be a shadow hunter so bad because they were all depicted as being able to handle anything and even when they had their moments they would suddenly you know band together and they'd support each other and then they would go off and they'd kill a demon and it would all be okay again even when things got rocky which they definitely Mm -hmm. did it was a lot of (laughs) difficulties for them no spoilers but I remember thinking oh if I was in that world I wouldn't be bothered about you know homework or whatever I was stressing about because I was like 16 at the time (laughs) anyway I would just be like oh, I'm having a terrible time. And then Jace would go, don't worry, we're going to go kill a demon. And there was also probably something in the fact that, you know, I quite fancy Jace. I know he's a fictional (laughs) character, whatever. It happens. Yeah. (laughs) But is there something in that as well you can just lose yourself a little bit? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, fantasy, I'm going to have a little bit of diversion here. So fantasy is, Mm -hmm. is kind of, you know, I spent a lot of time, well, I've spent a lot of time around literature people. I did a PhD in Shakespeare. I did a lot of literature stuff. Um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time around literary scholars and, you know, some absolutely brilliant ones, but also ones that sort of went, mm, fancy, it's not really literature, is it? It's not proper writing. A uh, whole world building, sorry. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> and it's like, actually, you, know, you, th- you think about it, and your fantasy is, is kind of seen as this poorer imitation of something. It's not really proper literature. Can we, can we just backtrack a little and just point out that Shakespeare 
did also write fantasy. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Preach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. And, you know, you look at fantasy's kind of lineage, it goes back to Mozart, Arthur, you know, Icelandic sagas, you know, Shakespeare, Beowulf, you know, it's got absolutely loads, you know, th- that kind of perception of fantasy. And I think it's changing. I think it's definitely mm. starting to change now. Um, this this yeah. amazing, it's um, uh, University of Glasgow has this section of their English department fully dedicated to the study of fantasy literature. And oh, it's wow. got amazing people in it. I was there a couple of yeah. years ago. Brilliant. But it's becoming a lot more mainstream among literary types. Mm. And it's not all kind mm. of, you know, I'm going to go totally kind of stereotypical here, you know, flicking through dusty tomes in the library <laughs> by candlelight. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's about, you know, recognising that heritage that fantasy has. And it has been seen yeah. you know, very much as the kind of core cousin of proper literature. Mm. Um, but as you say, Sarah, you know, Shakespeare wrote fantasy. You know, The Tempest is fantasy. A Midsummer Night's Dream yeah. is fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are so many yeah. connecting elements. Even even his historical, a lot of it is fantasy. Yeah, there are a huge amount of crossovers. And actually, I do some lectures for ASNA level students. And to try to get them excited about Shakespeare, I do some parallels between Shakespeare and Doctor Who. And you know, basically, you put a picture nice. of David Tennant on a PowerPoint, so it's going to get attention, isn't it? It will get yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yes, you know, with that sort of Doctor Who and Shakespeare, you know, you've got kind of fantasy, sort of popular culture fantasy mm-hmm. as a conduit, as a way to understand something that's seen as boring or difficult to talk about. You know, the way that, and you know, throwing absolutely no shade to teachers because, you know, they, they put up a brilliant job in the face of, you know, a curriculum which yeah. is you know, not fit for purpose. Their hands are yeah. completely tied on how they can teach literature. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I could kind of swan in with, you know, my, my PowerPoints of David Tennant and the TARDIS noise sort of go, Shakespeare's awesome. Look at this. It's Doctor Who and Shakespeare. There was an episode with Shakespeare. I watched that. That counts. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And they used Harry Potter in it. Yes. Yeah. It, that was just like the perfect episode. It was like Doctor Who, Shakespeare, Harry Potter. Amazing. Sold. And, and do you want a fun fact? I, I always okay, love yeah. a fun fact. So in it, he's talking to Martha and he's like, oh, book seven, you wait. Cry my eyes out. And like, that was before it came out and then you read it and you're like oh well now i am crying because ob- obviously you know who dies in book seven i don't remember which one dobby i reckon it was dobby dobby would do it that's, that's oh well you yeah. did you snotted everywhere for dobby dying well Even i'm my sorry was. it was the saddest i'm not oh, saying that was a wrong thing was to do snop it snotting everywhere's fine he's, he's like I saved Harry and he's like, I saved Master Harry and then they bury him and it's just, and then they dig the grave by hand because I just... Okay, so can we link on, you were talking about schools and teaching Shakespeare and the use of fantasy and all the rest of it. Is there a case then for using fantasy to teach mental health in schools? Yes, absolutely. Because it hits all the boxes. It hits the, this is a cool thing. This is an interesting Mm -hmm. thing. I know about this. Also, going back to, you know, the stigma, you know, it's not about mental health. It's not a textbook about how to sort your mental health out and how to tell the first signs of anxiety. It's not obviously about that. And, you know, you can do practical activities. Um, So, Mm. you know, you could have a booth set up and you've got a wardrobe with the bugger in the wardrobe and sort of, you know, set up this whole really physical thing. Give them a wand, you know, write down what their fear is write down how they would what they would turn it into and you know that that's an absolutely amazing teaching moment 
it's memorable for them to think, okay, so I talked about, I don't know, let's use Ron. You know, spiders really scare the hell out of me. But actually, mm-hmm. I could turn it into this. And, you know, it's, it's not, the thought hasn't gone, but I have turned it into something manageable and something that I can mm-hmm. laugh at. So that, that's just an amazing teaching moment. And it gives them a common language to use with their friends and they can go, it's all right, it's just your bogger. It's just your bogger. It's just your bogger. You know, make it funny. Deal with your bogger. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like, you know, depression has been referred to as the black dog. You know, it's it's creating that, like I said, that common language that it kind of takes the sting. It's like Voldemort. You know, it it takes the sting out of the name. And, you know, there is is something important about naming things. I was going to be really nerdy. I was going to quote then, but Please. I'm going to rein it in. Well, <laughs> I was just going to talk about fear of the name increases fear of the thing itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yes, yeah. it's so true. And it's just, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things, if it encourages people to talk about it, if it encourages, yeah. I don't know, 13-year-olds at school to talk mm. about it, who gives a shit if they're saying, hey, I actually dealt with my bogget yesterday? Rather than saying, I, I really dealt with my um, with my panic disorder yesterday. You know, it it it's like common languages that I really hate to say this, but it's that more socially acceptable language because you say anxiety, you say depression, you say anything about disorders, and people sort of not all people, obviously, I'm generalising horribly, yeah. But some people sort of go, oh, I don't know how to deal with that, so I'm just going to kind of yeah. change the subject. And I think particularly when it is talking about it to younger people, you know, kids even and teenagers, when those things start to become needed to be talked about, it can be like really intense if you're talking about anxiety and depression. But if you're making it relatable for them, things they understand, so much more likely to be used. And a way then to respond, because I know, you know, quite often in terms of looking at the way people communicate and interpersonal behaviours and things, often our responses are from awkwardness of not knowing actually what the right thing is to do, what what you should be saying, what you do, and therefore you do everything wrong. Um, So being able to use um, that kind of way to... Uh, be able to see what somebody is going through without it being a difficult thing, without it making you feel uncomfortable. And I know that sounds so hard, doesn't it? It's because true. it's like it makes you as the listener feel uncomfortable. Imagine how it makes me feel with having it, you bastard. <laughs> but actually, you know, you've got to deal with that discomfort of the person that you're talking to because then you can have that conversation. So having a way of having a common language with something like fantasy can be really useful. It's almost like it creates more of a level playing ground because you've got that one yeah. thing in common. I remember I was I was called out to a student who... Um, was having a really, really tough time of it and so she didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, so I kind of, yeah, I got caught up in the middle of the night to come and talk to her and, you know, I was kind of briefed with the, you know, we, she really needs to go to hospital. We can't get her there. You know, can you help? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in and, you know, I, I sort of started talking absolute bollocks basically and sort of like, hey, you know, I'm Anna and, you know, I'm doing this. And I did a PhD in Shakespeare and, you know, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. And at that point it was, oh, you like Doctor Who? And it was, yeah. that was the way in. And it wasn't planned. It was very much a, I'm just going to sit here and talk until, you know, you get used to the sound of my voice and you might feel like, you know, jumping in on something. And yeah. then it was, you know, I mean, we basically spent like the next 12 hours together trying to get us sorted through various hospital visits. But that was the way in. 
and it was that common, you know, that relatability, that shared understanding, that shared passion with Doctor Who mm. that really kind of mm. got got you in, um, which is just amazing. I've got a fun fact for you as well. Yes, please. I love fun facts. Love fun facts. Yes. Well, did you know that binging TV episodes is actually good for your well-being? No way. It's been proven. <laughs> right, because... I'm the type of person where, let's say, a new series dropped on my streaming platform of choice, all the episodes in one, on Friday, and I had a deadline on Monday. It's either I can't let myself watch it until after my deadline's done, because otherwise I'll never get it done, or I binge it all in 24 hours so that I can just crack on with my deadline. And I am way more likely to choose the last one, because... As seen with Bridgerton, it mm-hmm. consumes my whole life and gives me some happiness for a little time. And then I'm like, I can go back to that once I finish my deadline. But now I'm like in a place where I'm not just thinking about it. It's in the background. Mm. And how did that impact your emotional well-being? Did you feel better for that? I felt so good after watching it. So good. And then I got all the audiobooks. So, so why? Is it an achievement? thing no no it's a psychological thing tell us more tell us more tell us more so there's this is absolutely brilliant scholar uh, elizabeth cohen i think she's in america and she's mm. talked about the concept of binge watching and why tv has got such a bad rap and go back to the, the parliamentary report i mentioned earlier it talked about you know how children should be diverted away from television because it's sedentary and it's unhealthy but my one of my responses to that is how many people walk while they read how many people do star jumps while they read? Reading is sedentary as well. Sometimes I do. I, I'm terrible. I'm in public places really? bumping into people because of my book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so can I just confess to something? Go on. I used to do that with Shakespeare. What, you used to read and walk Shakespeare? Were you trying to be that girl? <laughs> no, because that was my lose it in fantasy. Yeah, I get was... that. Was going down the river and reading Shakespeare. Oh, Sarah gorgeous. was like, I'm the main my... character. Oh, <laughs> I love it. There's a bound book. Yeah. And I would walk and read going back from the river. Okay, it's a nature nurture thing, clearly. This is why I walk and read. I'm going to say, you know, my, my point about reading not being sedentary is just completely blown up in my face there because you're so reader sorry. walkers. <laughs> Sorry! It's just a weird thing we do, though. It is mainly like sedentary. It. Essentially, the point is, you know, TV's got this really bad reputation, and it shouldn't have. Yeah. And I've actually got a quote, if you would like to hear the quote from... <gasps> Love a quote. Um, Elizabeth Cohen. Um, so yes. she says that when individuals binge watch, they are thought to have what's called a flow experience. Flow is an mm. intrinsically pleasurable feeling of being completely immersed in a show's storyline. We need to shake the notion yeah. that binging on stories we engage with on TV is somehow a less worthy pursuit than binging on stories that we consume in other ways, like novels, which I think is an absolutely so brilliant true. point because it, it is a yeah. story. It's, you know, it's that immersion. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I do love an episode a week, chat with your mates, we'll have a conversation during the week and we'll send each other memes and that's great, but there is nothing as good as binging a show, just me and just falling in love with it and feeling so immersed and then convincing everyone I know to watch it so I can talk about it. It's so good. Yeah. And something about the being, losing yourself in it, and I think there's, you know, seeing yourself and losing yourself. I was going back to another episode of Mirrors and Windows. Yeah, yeah. And that whole fantasy gives you both of those. Mm -hmm. 
in terms of mirroring yourself so you feel that you're part of it and you are connected and then having that connection with other people who also get it Mm -hmm. and then windows are being able to enable you to see others hey i learn things from these podcasts i do learn things give her three weeks and it'll be out of her brain it will it will go (laughs) gone but no i I think that's a gorgeous image and i think i think you've really kind of succinctly pulled it's not mine it's borrowed it's borrowed (laughs) it's borrowed borrowed. well you presented it very well Well um but yeah it it is that (laughs) it definitely is that sort of mirrors and windows thing and you know thinking about different types of fantasy you know that there's kind of high fantasy where you're in just a completely different world and it has absolutely no resemblance but the characters you know they might go through similar things you know similar feelings similar emotions and then there are other types of fantasy you know possibly more the kind of um i don't know if you read jodie taylor's chronicles of st mary's if you haven't read them putting that in my list (laughs) this is what i do all the time now i get them up and i'm like let me just write this down there are there are 12 books so far the latest one's just come out and i finished it in three days um but that's you know it's it's a very similar world to ours except they have well it's not you know i'll call it time travel they investigate historical Mm. events in contemporary time and it's it's very similar to our world but just with a few differences like jasper ford very similar to our world just a few differences Mm. so you can place yourself in these societies. And obviously we do, when we read something and you know, it, it's not a, a fancy specific thing, you know, you read Jane Austen, you read Shakespeare, you know, you're mm-hmm. there, you're experiencing it. Yeah. But there's, one of the things about fantasy is you can see things happening and it's in a world that kind of represents yours. It's mm-hmm. kind of similar, mm-hmm. it's slightly different mm-hmm. and you can experience things and emotions and actions, but at a safe space. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. far enough to be different, but it's still close enough to really, you know, you can see mm-hmm. yourself in your own world. Okay, so going back to Hunger Games, obviously there is a real clear discussion about PTSD in those books. And particularly with people who, you know, obviously the people who have been in the games, but also later on with the people who have been in the capital. Yeah. And there's also a discussion about disability because Peter loses a leg. You may have missed that in the films. You probably did anyway. <laughs> and I'd never really thought about making that connection about it, making talking about things accessible until now. But there is that really haunting scene where Katniss gets taken out of the games and she's like clawing on the window and it describes all of her yeah, nails yeah, yeah, being yeah. like bloody yes. and and how scared she is and this really overwhelming fear. And Thinking about it in relation to, you know, talking about mental illness, it was the first time really I think I'd read anything that sort of explored PTSD and anxiety in such an yeah. an obvious but clever way. And it was scary because she was scared, but it wasn't like, oh, I don't know why she's going through that. What's going on with her? That's weird. It was completely understandable. Yeah. And I wonder whether there's something as well there. So thinking about, mm. you know, for teaching for parenting Mm. being able to read the same because I never really sort of appreciated I knew I loved it because it meant we could talk about them um but actually I've never really appreciated that how what it enabled us to talk about because it was just that we just love books and being able to talk about (laughs) things together it's that way Um, in it's that common language you were talking about it's that shared experience yeah and that yeah, comes back yeah, to the, the wider fandoms, you know, that common yes. language, that community, that ability to mm. talk about things, you know, on, on 
and yeah, you know, what I really love is that all of these fora have just multiplied. You know, there's this incredible dialogue happening on so many platforms simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You've got people across the world discussing things and they, they get more familiar with the people they're interacting with on these fora and they, they become friends and they talk about you know life and you know it's a way in it's a way to really talk and connect with people that can obviously mm-hmm. you know, like you know the huge mental health discourse which really annoys me is people just need to reach out it's not that simple it's absolutely <laughs> categorically not that simple you need to create the situation and the environment where people can and I strongly think yeah. that part of that relies on that connectivity that shared experience that shared language you know being able Mm. to speak to someone who is on your level not intellectually um or you know in in any other kind of sense but someone who is just that kind of empathetic person who can Mm. have that discussion and yeah I I think fantasy is is a great way of doing that you know it's it's not something that is specific to fantasy and it's absolutely not that that's you know my kind of that's where I, I'm really passionate about. You know, I've got every Doctor Who DVD that still exists. You know, I, There's so many in my cupboard right now. Uh, can we be best friends, please? Please, please. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, that shared language, that shared experience, that kind of commonality, that relatability yeah. and, you know, bonding over passions or hobbies levels the playing field. Social media can be such a tool for evil and it really, really can. Yeah. It could be just Voldemort in technology form. But mm-hmm. it's also, it facilitates things. It helps the introverts get out there virtually and talk to people about their passions, mm-hmm. their experiences. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's opened up huge amounts. And I think that's that's particularly striking, you know, in, in, in the situation we're currently in where we've basically been stuck inside yeah. and having to move our entire lives sort of online mm-hmm. on Microsoft Teams or Zoom. You know, it's... Yeah. It's that, you know, being able to live properly online and using that as a conduit to the outside world. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kind of fandom collectives, you know, of any fandom, and you know, particularly fantasy, obviously, because it's the best, um, <laughs> being able to strike up those relationships and build those communities through virtual means, I think it's huge and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well, we do too. I think we were converted yeah. at the beginning. And even more now. I'm and even more. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And now all I can think is I want to go and binge read so much. I really hoped you were going to say binge watch dog too. Because I was like, yeah, I really want to do that tonight now. <laughs> I'm going to take my DVDs out. <laughs> Thank you for coming you. on. I've had the, the love, last time. The yes, it's just yes. flowing in the room. It's happened. <laughs> It's been brilliant. And I will change your question because the question is how, is not how can. It is just, it can. Yeah. 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 Can't it? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's true. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, Sarah. That was my dream episode. That really was. I've had the best time ever. I got to be a nerd. Did you learn anything? I did learn things. Because I always thought, you know, oh, I like fantasy. Oh, I like escaping into a world. That must be why it's good for me. I had never thought about, I mean, obviously I know, you know, 
Dementors in Harry Potter, symbol of depression. But I never thought about how actually in fantasy it is explored a lot and how it can be used to talk to other people about how you're feeling. I'd never even considered that. And now when I'm crying on the floor because of my deadline stress, I don't need to just cry and not have the words to tell you how I'm feeling. I can just go, Sarah, it's my boggart. Oh, I love, I love being able to just go, okay, let's deal with your bogger. Let's deal with my Let's deal with your bogger. Um, okay, so one, there are loads of fan platforms out there. I'm going to get you a Tumblr account. It's going to scare the crap out of I have no you. idea. <laughs> Reddit, I've seen occasionally, uh, yeah. but have no idea. Um, but to have that connection with other people that yeah. get the things that you're into. Yeah. must be amazing because you can share and you can talk about the things that are going on for you Mm. and really connect with that one brilliant amazing for mental health true two being able to just go through it yourself personally not connecting with anyone no but to read things and go I understand and actually I relate to that and to feel yourself as a character going through all of that and dealing with it all Mirrors, windows, all the rest of it. Awesome. Yeah. Then three is having that collective conversation, language, whether it's books, films, TV, whatever, Mm -hmm. and being able to use that with family, friends. Oh, my God, put it on the curriculum. Yeah, the academic stuff is never something I've thought about, but actually it really makes sense because I think we do need to start teaching mental health in yeah. schools and well, particularly, but not in not in the right way, I would argue, yeah. and also not young enough because I think, you know, you start to hear about it when you reach teenage years, by which time most people are already struggling with insecurities and anxieties and fuck it some people in teenage years have massive ptsd from stuff and trauma okay. so young people yeah. fantasy yeah. let's talk thomas the tank engine and how the fuck you can talk about yeah. all of those complex issues that exactly. they're talking about when one train is being picked on yeah. and being yeah. left out exactly. for being different it's so beneficial and i think I was seven when I read the first Harry Potter book and there was all that, you know, if that had been used, I know not every kid out there might be into fantasy. Maybe there is one book fantasy series for everybody. I would like to believe there is because I think we should all explore different genres. But I think it could be... But actually, even if it isn't fantasy, just being able to use mainstream literature of any any kind kind to be able to have that conversation. Yeah. (sighs) brilliant oh and i love anna superb and i have really enjoyed yeah so as we mentioned previously we'd had it be like yeah it's all right i think i haven't had it strong enough in the past (laughs) i'll i'll be honest it was far too strong um i've said it before and i'll say it again i should not be in charge of pouring the gin oh yes you should sometimes because that was rather good it was rather good rather good um and having it paired with something else i'd like to play with it i would love to play with it i think it's a really good gin to play with i think we should play the game with of 101 mixes for a lone wolf yeah i agree i think there's so many flavors in it that every pairing you use with it is going to bring out something different totally yeah and that's what I quite like. Yeah. So there's the challenge. Oh. Brill. 
you enjoyed this episode listen to more we've got tons got loads and if you like them really really like them you could always leave us a review because apparently they're quite helpful you can also subscribe you can and then you don't even need to go and find us we just appear every single week yeah we are on twitter at topic gin and on instagram topic gin (laughs) join us next week for another gin and another topic